those who are listening online uh, who are unable to be here with us, glad that you're able to tune in. I want you to listen to this quote. I'm going to read from, uh, by Anthony Flew, philosopher. Listen to this quote. It should be on the screen as well. If it is to be established that there is a God, then we have to have good grounds for believing that this is indeed so. Until and unless some such grounds are produced, we have literally no reason at all for believing. And in that situation, the only reasonable posture must be that of either the negative atheist or the agnostic. So the onus of proof has to rest on the proposition. It must be up to them to bring forward sufficient reasons to warrant their claim that, in their present sense of the word God, there is a God. People want proof before they believe, don't they? People want proof. In the developing story of Matthew, we see that that's exactly what the Pharisees are demanding. Proof. You've made claims. You've done some amazing things, Jesus. Now, prove yourself. The evidence that is before us is simply not enough. We need more. We want proof. What an opportunity today for Jesus, right? He can remove all the ambiguity for the Pharisees. He has the ability and the power and the authority to prove it. So that they might believe. And what will Jesus say today? How will He respond to them? And what will be the implications for us of His response in the midst of our doubts? In the midst of our weaknesses? And our desire that maybe, maybe we share with the Pharisees. That if I'm going to believe it, He's going to have to prove it. I wonder if some of you are here today with that very thing in mind. So let's turn to Matthew 12, 38 through 45. We continue our journey here. Matthew 12, 38 through 45. It's my hope today that the Spirit of God reveals Himself to you today. And that same Spirit moves in your heart and motivates a response. A response of faith that is according to all that Christ indeed is. Matthew 12, 38-45. Follow along with me. The text says that then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. 
But just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. And then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will be it. So also will it be with this evil generation. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God abides forever, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray together. Spirit of God, we do pray that you would work in our hearts and in our minds. We are fully dependent upon you in this moment. This is not just slick words and a presentation. This is a divine moment where the Spirit of God applies the word to the heart of his people. We pray that that would happen. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been with us at all in the last... Almost two years in Matthew's Gospel. If you've been with us at all over the recent months, you're in the Gospel of Matthew. That's where we've been. And if you've read Matthew, if if you've made any observations during this time in this series, you have seen that Jesus has done some amazing miracles. Right? Jesus has done some amazing miracles. I mean, you think about the leper that he cleansed, the paralyzed servant of the centurion, the casting out of the evil spirit. Right? The text said that with a word, they were cast out. With a word, He healed them. People suffering with sickness and disease, with a word, just saying it, He healed them. He was doing miraculous things. We think about the paralytic of Matthew 9. Couldn't walk. And Jesus said, rise, pick up your mat, and walk. We think about the, the resurrection of the 12-year-old girl that was... Uh, uh, also, in that same story, juxtaposed with the healing of the woman that was hemorrhaging for 12 years. And now we see the most recent miracle where the demon-possessed man who was both blind and mute, he heals. He heals. He's done some amazing miracles. Things that no one can do. Jesus is doing them. But not only that, in the midst of all those miracles, he is saying something about himself. He is making some significant claims about who he is, isn't it? A lot of it is subtle. A lot of it is implicit. A lot of it is a little even mysterious and ambiguous for the Jews at the time. But there are some moments that were clear that Jesus was making significant claims about who he was. And he was claiming to be God. He called himself the fulfiller of the law in Matthew 5. I didn't come to abolish it. I am actually going to fulfill it. What a claim that is. The law keeper, the law giver. What about the moment where he calls himself the Son of Man? As the authority on earth to forgive sins. 
He's equating himself with the Son of Man of Daniel, the one who would rule forever. He's equating himself with God. And what else? He calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. In all the controversies, he's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be Lord. He's claiming to be what no one else is. And even so, he is also interacting with the Pharisees with such accusations. Some of them put us back on our heels over the last few months, right? Like the the direct accusations that Jesus is making about the Pharisees. He says in 520 that your righteousness is insufficient. You have to have more righteousness than the Pharisees and the scribes if you're ever even going to think about entering the kingdom of heaven. They're frauds. Their righteousness is insufficient. He calls them in our last passage, you brood of vipers. You're a bunch of snakes. You can't speak evil. I'm sorry, you can't speak good because why? You have an evil heart. You blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You've committed a sin that is unpardonable. He is going after the Pharisees, is he not? The intensity is picking up. The conflict is rising. And it's bringing uh, all those who are there to a crossroads, to a moment of decision, asking the question, what will we do with this Jesus? And I wonder if you're here today. And you're asking that question, what am I going to do with Jesus? I see what he's doing. I hear what he's saying. I feel confronted in the deepest part of who I am. The question is, what are we going to do with Jesus? Well, confronted with the implications of these claims and actions, the skeptical sinner demands proof. Given the claims that you're making, Jesus, the accusations, you better prove yourself. You better prove yourself. And that's what the scribes and the Pharisees do, right? Teacher, verse 38, we wish to see a sign from you. We wish to see a sign. You could could laugh a little bit, a sign, really, after all those miracles? Isn't that enough evidence? Is that not sufficient For you to believe what I'm telling you. But there was something a little bit different about a sign versus a miracle. Right? The miracles were mighty works of compassion. Supernatural deeds, of course. But a sign was something more. It was distinct from a miracle. It was asked for because it would provide proof. Vindication. 100% vindication. Yes. There's no shadow of a doubt. A sign from heaven, one of the other Gospels asked for in the language. Something more than a miracle needs to take place for us to believe. What we're seeing, what we're hearing, it's not sufficient. We need more, Jesus. We need more. Prove yourself with a sign. Remove all ambiguity. In some ways, they're saying, is something that we might hear today. If I see it, what? I will believe it. If I see it, I'll believe it. Prove yourself. i got to see something more. Is this you today? Are you asking something more than what you already have been revealed? Has been revealed to you? Is God's 
work in your life, God's grace in your life, your relationships where people are pointing you to Jesus, is that just simply not enough? You need more. Maybe you know someone in your life, a co-worker, a family member, a friend, a spouse, that continues to demand more before they believe. demand is given. What will Jesus say? He says this, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus says no. Let's be simple about it. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give you the sign you're demanding. I'm not going to entertain the games that you're playing. That's not why I'm here. I'm not here to play games with you, Pharisees. I understand the nature of who you are. And again, I'm going to say it as I've already been alluding to it and talking about it directly. You're evil. You're adulterous. Matter of fact, an evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign. That's why I'm not. And here we go again, that Jesus brings the Pharisees to the issue, because on the surface, asking for a sign isn't necessarily a bad thing. You look throughout the Bible. But Jesus looked past the request and saw their heart, didn't he? He understood the nature of their requests. He understood their hearts. And he could look below the surface and dig deeper into the the motive behind the, the, the demand. And Jesus says, I know your heart. I know who you are. I understand why you're asking. I understand the true nature of your unbelief. It is not because you have not seen enough. It's because you are evil and adulterous and unbelieving. That's why you're asking for it. And the truth is, and if you look at the Bible, performing a sign is never the remedy for the sin that demands it. It doesn't fix anything. It doesn't change anything. Something more is required than a sign. And so he says, no, because I'm not going to give it. I'm not going to play your game except one sign will be given. Jesus gives an exception. This. No sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. What in the world is going on here now? He goes on to say this. Looking back to the prophet Jonah, and you remember that we typically tell this story to the kids, and the kids are like, whoa, right? Jonah didn't feel like going to Nineveh, so he got on a ship and he went sailing to Tarshish, and yet uh, there was a big storm. And they couldn't figure out why is this storm happening. They throw Jonah in. He gets uh, uh, eat, uh, a well, basically uh, eats him. He's in the belly of a well. And then uh, he cries out to God, and God uh, spits him out. The well spits him out on the beach somewhere. So what's going on there? And it says it, right? For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That the, what we saw in Jonah's ministry and life became a foreshadowing of something that would go on in Jesus' ministry and Jesus' life. 
And here we see that Jesus is alluding to the great sign that would be given. The all-vindicating sign. And that was Jesus being raised from the dead. Right? That three days and three nights was basically idiom to say, you say, well, he wasn't three days and three nights. It's It's basically the same thing in understanding what's going on. So Jesus, as we understood, we just celebrated during Holy Week. The perfect, sinless man endured suffering on a cross, paid the penalty for our sins. This is the heartbeat of the Gospel message. But that all those claims and all that work was vindicated. Where and when? In the empty tomb. That Jesus is alive. It is His resurrection that would be the all-vindicating sign that Jesus is who He says He is and that He deserves all of our trust and devotion and allegiance. Amen? It is the resurrection of Christ that is the sign of Jonah. This evil, adulterous generation will kill me, but I will rise again and I will be vindicated. He will not let His Holy One see decay. Amen? What an awesome thing to remember. Based on your heart, this is why you ask, Pharisees, don't expect me to perform a sign for you except the sign of Jonah. But what you should expect, because your evil and adulterous heart is judgment. And we see that Jesus goes right back there again. Once again, Jesus turns to emphasize what will happen on the day of judgment. And that's basically what the the next verses focus on. And I know it's uncomfortable for us. We don't want to talk about this, especially in 2021. We don't want to talk about judgment. We don't want to think about a day when we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give account for our words, as we saw last week, and give account for our actions, give account for who we are in our core, our heart. And that's what Jesus is doing again today with the Pharisees and for us. He is pointing our attention to the day of judgment, that we, are, uh, um, uh, we will all stand before Him, and it is the state of our heart that will be mattering for eternity. He goes on to say, verse 41, The men of Nineveh will rise up when? At the judgment. That's the first of three. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment. The the people that Jonah went to preach to, they will rise up at the judgment with this generation because everyone will rise up. Everyone will stand before. He's saying the men of Nineveh, they they will condemn it. Why? For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What Jesus is saying is, listen, the men of Nineveh, when they heard the preaching of Jonah, that was enough for them. You know, all that Jonah is reported to have said to Nineveh, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You're in trouble, Nineveh. God's judgment is coming upon you. That's all he said. 
And what what do we find in the story, as surprising as it is, a pagan people, they repent. They turn from their wickedness and they turn to God. Hearing the preaching of the prophet Jonah, the message of God in the messenger of God, was effectual in the hearts of the people of Nineveh. That was enough. They didn't have a sign. They didn't demand proof. They just repented. And he's saying, something greater than Jonah is here. You see, those people responded to the revelation that they had heard from God. And yet there is so much more being revealed to you, Pharisees and scribes, you're seeing and hearing and experiencing so much more than they ever did. And they repented, and you are not willing to do so. You are unresponsive to the greatness of the revelation that you are experiencing. They will condemn you because you are doing much less in the face of receiving much more. You wonder, people that hear the gospel, week in, week out, have so much grace surrounding their lives that are pointing them to Jesus. And no response, no repentance, no faith. It's not enough. I need more to believe. But not only the men of Nineveh, but the queen of the south. Remember the story in 1 Kings 10. Right? Look at what it says. The queen of the south, queen of Sheba, will rise up when? At the judgment with this generation and condemn it. The queen of Sheba? A pagan queen is going to condemn the superpower, spiritual superpower of Jesus' day? Who knew the law? What's going on here? Look at what she says. For she came from the ends of the earth to what? Did she have some experience? What was it? To hear. She came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. That was enough for her. That was enough. She came to visit Solomon. They heard heard of his riches and his wisdom. The text tells us that there was no more breath in her. She was literally blown away by what she saw and what she heard. The wisdom of Solomon blown away by it. And she blessed the Lord in response. Is what the passage tells us. Is this happening again today? Taylor Swift. You're welcome. You got a little Taylor Swift ditty. Anyway, what am I even talking about? Queen of Sheba. She blesses the Lord. Taylor Swift is not blessing the Lord. But anyway, she blesses the Lord. And yet this evil, adulterous generation shows no interest in the wisdom of God in Christ. No thanks. We hear the wisdom of Jesus. Eh, not interested. Not interested. That generation. And yet something greater than Solomon is here. I want you to understand what's going on. Jesus is saying, I'm better, I'm greater than, uh, than, than the preaching of Jonah. I'm greater than the wisdom of Solomon. It's right in front of you. What more do you need? It is me. The Word made flesh. The one who explains the Father perfectly. 
right? Like Thomas says, show us the, show us the way to the Father. And what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? Have you not seen me? Have you not seen me? What an amazing thing to think about, what they were experiencing in that time. Right? Hebrews talks about this, this uh, revelation that is unique and full and perfect in Jesus Christ. Long ago, God spoke through the prophets, but in these last days, how has God spoken to and revealed Himself to the world? Through His Son, Jesus Christ, the, the radiance of His glory. Colossians, the exact imprint. In Him, the fullness of deity dwells. They see Jesus. They hear Jesus. You can't get more revelation than that. Not enough. Jesus, you're not enough. And I wonder if that's where you are today. It's not enough, Jesus, what you've done. It's not enough, Jesus, what you've said. It's not enough. I need proof. I need more. I don't need to just hear of you. I need to see you. I need to see something more. But there's nothing more than Jesus. Did you hear that today? There's nothing more than Jesus. There's nothing greater than Jesus. Amen? And they saw Him. They heard Him. Yes, in this human humble state. But that wasn't enough. Why? Because they were evil, adulterous, and unbelieving. And a sign would never remedy the sin that was in their heart. Would never do that. And so because of their heart, they would not expect a sign from Jesus except the sign of Jonah. They would expect judgment. And even the generation, as they were experiencing the power and the miracles of Jesus, and even, as we see in this previous passage, the exorcism. Even that, like, the, he's casting out demons. Right? He's, what's happening? Even that. Unless a heart has changed and renewed. At the very best, that leaves a generation, a person in a state of neutrality. And that's what we see Jesus saying. There's no hope there. Look at what the verses 43 through 45 say. When the unclean spirit has gone out of the person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I'll return to my house in which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. In many ways, that's what Jesus is doing in Israel and in the lives of people. He's cleaning house. But unless there is something changing on the inside, some transformation, there still is no hope. Look at what it goes on to say. Then it goes and it brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And look at this. The third and last reference to judgment. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also will it be 
for this generation. You see what's happening there? Yeah, Jesus cast out demons. Unless there's a, a work of God by His Spirit taking place in the heart of people, if that's not happening, it's actually an open door to be refilled and to be oppressed and overtaken by the enemy. And that last state will be worse than the first. So, neutrality in relationship with Jesus is a dangerous position. Oh, yeah, you can have it. You can take it or leave it. Doesn't matter to me. Neutrality is puts you in a dangerous position. Yeah, I'm not sure. Could be. Maybe not. Doesn't really matter in the end. No, it does. Neutrality leaves you in a dangerous position to be oppressed and overtaken and deceived by the enemy. And if you are there, the Bible, is, Jesus is saying that your last state will be worse than the first. Even as you experience grace and, and see revelation and evidence around you, if you don't embrace it, if you don't trust Jesus, if you don't respond, if you don't repent, seek His wisdom and devote yourself to Jesus, that leaves you in a vulnerable place. So please, let me say that to you right now. As you're hearing this word this morning, trust in Jesus. See who He is. Hear the word concerning His work and His person and trust in Him. Repent. Turn from your sin. Seek His wisdom and devote yourself to Him. Do that today. Don't wait any longer. The intensity in which Jesus is speaking. Because judgment is coming. The day of judgment is soon. Don't allow these things to become immaterial for you. Neutrality is not an option. A.D. Simpson wrote a song. What will you do with Jesus is what it was called. And I think this is a helpful rhyme, if you will. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? Someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? The day of judgment. That day is coming. So, what will you do with Jesus today? What, what proof, uh, what will make a difference for you? What is needed to transform your heart and prepare you for eternity? And as we hear from Jesus, you don't need a sign. You don't need a sign. You don't need proof in the way that you talk about it. It won't remedy your heart. It won't. You'll just, what all that you see Remember, the tree and the fruit. It, no matter what you see, and I think we live in a day like this where everything that's coming at us is just reinforcing what we already believe to be true. So no matter what you see and experience, if your heart is not transformed, it's just going to reinforce your doubt. You follow? So you don't need a sign. You need a word. You don't need a sign, you need a sermon. You don't need Jesus proved to you. You need Jesus preached to you. That's what I believe the text is saying. You don't need a sign to be saved from judgment. You need a sermon. You don't need Jesus proved to you. You need Jesus preached to you. 
because it is the preaching of the Word, not the performing of a sign, that will transform your heart and save you from the coming judgment. Romans 10.17 So faith comes, how? From hearing. And hearing through the Word of Christ. You must hear. That's how God works. Through preaching. You say that's foolishness. I know the Bible actually says that. The Bible actually calls it the foolishness of preaching to confound the wisdom of the world. It is the preaching of the Word that what? Saves. God created through preaching. Let there be. He saves. He recreates through preaching. Through the Word. You need the Word today. And that's why we preach it week in and week out. The ministry of the Word is central to the life of the church because it is the Word of God that saves us. It's the Word of God that transforms the heart of the evil, adulterous person. You need a Word. Jesus said it. Look, at they heard the preaching of Jonah, and they believed. It was enough. They came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and it was enough. You're hearing the greatest preacher in Revelation ever, and it's not enough for you because you're evil and adulterous. You're seeing things that no one's ever seen. You're not trusting. Why? Because you're evil and adulterous. It is your heart. And until you hear the preaching of the gospel, until you hear the word of Christ, to be more specific, until you hear the declaration that Jesus died and was raised from the dead for you, you will never turn to Jesus. Your heart will never be transformed. And you can only and will only expect judgment at His return. You hear the Word today. The Word is effectual. The Word calls. The Word draws. It is the Word of God that we need. And specifically, a Word about Jesus Christ. And comprehensively, every Word that is written on the pages of the Bible. This is God's Word to you. The Scriptures have the power and the authority to save us. To give us new life. It is through the living and abiding Word of God that we are born again to a living hope. Amen? Do you believe this? It's all over the Bible. It's all over it. It's the Bible. It's the Gospel. It's a Word about Jesus. That changes the human heart. That prepares us for judgment. That's the very basis by which we can say that God has not destined us for wrath, but for salvation. Word. It's the word. It's the sign of Jonah. A word about the resurrection. And I wonder if even now, the Spirit of God is at work in your heart. In a way that He's never been at work in your heart before. In a way that's never been clear. I've never seen it that way. I've never heard it that way. And the Spirit of God is softening you. I pray that that's true. I pray that that's true. And that your unresponsiveness, your dissatisfaction is being warmed. And that God, by His Spirit, is grabbing you at the bottom of the ocean floor and raising you from the dead through the preaching of the Word of God. Isn't that what happened in Acts 2? Just think about it for a second with me, will you? 
they, Jesus, they didn't even see people. They didn't see Jesus. Yeah, the core people, many saw him, convincing proofs. I understand that. But really, what's happening on the day of Pentecost as the guy who's, who, who's always in trouble with his mouth is preaching a sermon, and the content of that sermon is this. What? Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you've crucified. He's alive. He's alive. And he's Lord. The one you killed. And what does the text say happens? Just upon hearing that. They didn't see Jesus in that moment. They just heard the word. The text says that they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. Is, is the Spirit of God coming into your heart right now? Trusting in Christ? Relying upon Christ? Seeing who He is for the first time? Is He warming you? Is He raising you from the dead? Are you ready now to embrace Him? Are you ready now to trust Him? To repent of your sin? To see what it is? An expression of your evil, adulterous heart? And to run into His arms? And say, make me clean? Make me new? Is that you today? It's in response to a word. And they said, well, what do we do? There's the response of it. They're cut to the heart. Now what do we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. They were united to Jesus in His death and resurrection. Hearing and responding to the Word is what will prepare you for judgment. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will He do with me? This is a call to at least three things. One, it's a call to faith, which I've already emphasized. Trust in Jesus and have a restored relationship with God and have a new heart given to you today. Second, and I think more important maybe for many of us here today who have already said yes to Jesus, this is a call to intentional sanctification. Because I don't think we keep the day of judgment in mind. We think justification, amen, that when we trust in Him, we are made right with God. That is a glorious gift, is it not? But it is not the end of the journey toward Judgment Day. There's a whole other process in the Christian life that is called sanctification. And because Jesus said that that day will come, and because God said, be holy for I am holy, and if we're going to be prepared for that day, we are going to take seriously the call to be sanctified because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 4. And you say, well, how am I sanctified? We're back to the ministry of the Word again. God justifies through the preaching of the Word. God sanctifies and sustains and strengthens our faith through the Word of God. You need the Bible. You need the Word. You need the Gospel. It's not just something you embrace at one point and then it's it and we move on to other things. No, it is always the diet of discipleship, is it not? The Word of God preached. The Word of God meditated upon and enjoyed. The Word of God in us and the Word of God out of us. Do you understand what I'm trying to say this morning? You do not need another experience. You do not need an amazing worship service. You do not need a retreat. You do not need a new friend. I mean, some of you might need some new friends. But you, you, you don't need a new book, some awesome new book coming out. You don't need all that. You need the Scriptures. 
to be prepared for the day of judgment. You need the Bible. I think we would do well to evaluate our passion, our devotion, and our interaction, and our love for the Word of God. Have we lost grip on it? Have we been enamored by the things of this world? Are we focused on so many projects at the house, so many goals for the kids, so many dreams for the future, that we've lost sight of what we're doing here and what God is doing, conforming us to the image of Christ, and the Word of God is central to that. So come to church, hear the preached Word, get in a missional community, interact around the world with other followers of Jesus, get in a discipling relationship, so that more and more accountability and encouragement comes to that. And watch and flourish. Because man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Grab your Bibles. Grab your Bible. Read it. Eat it. Digest it. Think on it. Have family devotions. Read it on your own at home. Have a plan. Because it is the Word of God that is sufficient to prepare us for the day of judgment. The Word of God alone will what? Conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. And imagine that day when we will see Him eye to eye and enter into glory. That will be the fruit of what? The Word of God in our lives. Have I said enough about that? If you need help with this, see an elder. See a missional community leader. Talk to someone that's close to you. We see the sufficiency and the necessity of the ministry of the Word of God in our lives. Are you passionate about that? What day are you preparing for? Retirement day? What day? Your graduation day? Or is it the day of judgment? also a call to evangelism. Right? If human hearts are at stake, and the Word is central to the transformation of the human heart, guess what our task is? Speak the Word. Preach the Word. Declare the Word. What word? The word of Christ. What about Christ? He died in his grave. This is a calling that we have embraced for eight years. Evangelism. This is why we're in this room today, because we felt a call to evangelism. This is why we're talking about church planning today. It's about evangelism. It's about the world having repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel because the word preached is the only hope for the transformation of the heart and the saving of real souls from judgment. We should feel the weight of that. This is a call to faith. This is a call to sanctification. This is a call to evangelism. All of this undergirded, not by proof, but by, but by the Word of God. Amen? The Word is enough. 
The word is sufficient. You don't need anything else. No more excuses. No more replacements. It's all about the word of Christ. It's the preaching of the word. It's not the performing of a sign. It will transform your heart and save you from the coming judgment. Amen? Pray your spirit would apply the words, your words, to the heart of the people here. Where there is unbelief, we pray that you would bring faith. Where there is unsatisfaction, dissatisfaction, we pray that you would bring joy. Where there is an intense battle sin and struggle. We pray that you would bring strength and that you would bring about holiness. Where there is distraction, I pray that you would bring about focus. Where there is weakness, I pray you bring strength. Where there is discouragement, I pray that you would bring encouragement. We pray that you would do all these things by the Spirit through the Word. destined for wrath, but for mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name.